out the gospel of Mark with going into these, these sandwiches. You guys remember the sandwiches? Are you hungry? We haven't had a sandwich in a while. We went from sandwiches to series. We, we did a few series which, which uh, changed the tone of the gospel of Mark for us. And at this point in the gospel of Mark, chapter 11, the cadence is going to speed back up again. We're going to be seeing sandwiches again. We're going to be seeing less series. And this, this next uh, thing that we're going to look at is the, called the temple cult. Remember, Jesus is steadfast on his way to Jerusalem, right? And he's not just going to Jerusalem to testify of himself being the Messiah, but more specifically, even he's headed directly for the temple. The temple was very significant when it came to worship for the, the Jews there in Jerusalem. In fact, it had become much more than what it was intended to be by Jesus. And we're going to look at how Jesus addresses that. And in this chapter, there's six things we're going to work through. Three times in those six, we see Jesus specifically going to the temple to address an issue. So that's what we're going to be looking at today with the temple cult. Before we start in Mark chapter 11, verse 1, let's Go to the Lord, prepare our hearts in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your passion that you had for us. We thank you, God, that that you pursue us. It it, it just blows my mind that, that you love us so much to the point where you would pursue us and even lay down your own life for us. God, we want to learn from you this morning. We want to see what warnings you have for us in Scripture. We want to see what blessings you have for us. We want to grow in our faith and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God, please give us the ears to hear what your spirit says to the church today. Like Elaine said, so that your church can be in a place where we're prepared to serve each other and to serve this lost and dying world. Father, we pray for the, the, another terror attack in London, Lord. We pray that you would mobilize your believers there in that city, that they would reach out to each other, they would love each other, they would comfort each other, that, that your love would be demonstrated through these horrific events. Lord, we pray that you would stop the enemy from coming into people's lives and, and seeking to to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Give us the words and the means and the boldness to step out and offer true life that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mark chapter 11, we're going to see our first point. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you. As soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied to the door outside the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Interesting. So if you remember last week, I 
told you a story about this Tacoma that I found, you, you know, that I saw, right? You guys remember that? As, you know, the blessings of the Lord have it, there's a guy on my street that also owns a 2017 Toyota Tacoma extended cab or quad cab, four-wheel drive, uh, 3.7 liter V6. <laughs> and I read this and I immediately thought, you know, like if the Lord wants, you just have to ask. So I went down on my neighbor and said, the Lord needs your Tacoma. Can I take it? What do you guys think he said? Nothing, because I didn't ask him. <laughs> this is an interesting way to start how Jesus will make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Nobody really knows how these people knew that the Lord really needed the cult. We would ask ourselves, you know, what's the, <laughs> what's the, the trick, you know? Can I just ask for anything anytime and say the Lord needs it? It mean, mean I'm going I'm to get it? No. Why did the people... Give the cult to the disciples. You know why I think? In fact, I'm pretty sure of. It's because they were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. They were ready for it. Again, I didn't collaborate with Elaine on this, but we need to be ready. Do you know for every one time in the Bible that the Bible predicts or, or speaks of the first coming of Jesus Christ, it speaks eight times of the second coming. For every one time for the first, eight times for the second. What does that tell you? That God wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be in a place where we're anticipating the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, when I was growing up, my mom would say to me, Tim, don't do that. Tim, Tim, Tim. And she'd keep saying over and over again, Tim, 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 Tim. You know, over 300 times in the New Testament, there's verses that speak of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You realize that that's one in 25 verses? It's like the Lord is reminding us constantly. And I came to a place where I used to hear this so much that I'm like, I know, I get it. The Lord is coming back and he's coming quickly. But then as we see the condition, the state that our world is in, it really puts us in a place of, you know, are we ready? Are we in a place where in our anticipation of the coming of the Lord, we're being bold about sharing that with others. Well, not too much about that, because the second coming, as you and I know, is connected to the righteous judge's arrival on planet Earth. So while there is a place for judgment, really, we need to be communicating a heart of compassion and love with people before it gets to that place. Because people understand today, you understand and I understand that there are consequences for actions. You can't just do something for so long and get away with it. And in fact, you know, you're hoping that when somebody does something unrighteous, that they have to, you know, give an account for it. I was driving up McLeod the other day, coming up to Russell. The light was green, and the guy in front of me was going very slow. And I'm not happy with slow drivers. Come on, guys. Who Are any of you happy with slow drivers? The speed limit's, you know, 45, they're going 30. And I'm just like, Holy Spirit's kicking in. I'm like, 
breathe. It's okay. 15 miles under the speed. No big deal. Guess what happened? You'll never guess. As we were coming up to Russell, there's a Toyota Corolla. I just, I noticed these things, you know. A black Toyota Corolla that blew through the red light. Our light was green. Theirs was red. He blew through it. And I'm very confident that if the guy in front of me would have been going faster, either he would have been hit or I would have been hit. I don't know what this person was thinking, but it's not like a yellow. This was like solid red other people going through the intersection before us. God knows his timing is perfect. And as they're going to Jerusalem, they get this cult that signifies that Jesus is the king. He's going to make his entry. And the first point, if you're taking notes, is expectation of the Messiah. Are you a disciple with Jesus, with the disciples who, who were expecting the Messiah and had their cult ready and was willing to give when it was asked of? Are we in the same place where we're in expectation of the Messiah? Of his imminent return. We know prophetically that there are many things or, or a few things that have to happen before Jesus come back. We're seeing those things being fulfilled right before our eyes, you guys. Right before our eyes. Are we in expectation of the Messiah? And the flip side of that, which is a bummer, you know, is that would we, any of us, be in a place where we're at right now, whatever season you're in, what you're going through right now, that you would be ashamed at his appearing? The state of your heart, the condition of your heart. I'm not even talking about catching you in the act, which you know what, it, what that is. I'm talking about the Lord comes back today and you get to stand before him and there's stuff that you should have dealt with. There's cults that you should have had ready. And now it's too late. By the grace of God, we have his word. We have the Holy Spirit. And we have this Sunday morning to consider that. So consider it. If you're not expectant, place your heart in a position to seek him for expectancy. We want it. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Verse 7. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father, David, that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when, the, when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Point two, again, if you're taking notes, the first is expectation or expectancy of the Messiah. The second is proclamation. Isn't that what they did? They recognized he was the Messiah. The people that were around him prepared to receive him as the king. And that's what they did. They proclaimed him as the son of David. Again, I don't want to be poking my finger in your chest. Hopefully that's the Holy Spirit, right? 
But are we in a place of expectation in the Lord, anticipation of his coming, that we, were, we are in a place because of that where there's a proclamation that's happening? Because if we're expecting it, if we're anticipating it, then we, we're going to be proclaiming it. We need to be. Look at these acts of terror and craziness that are happening around the world. Do you know if somebody knew about those things? Don't you think that if there was an anticipation before the event, they had the information that they would go and they would go on the bridge and they would clear it and they would tell people, like, get out of here. Your lives are at stake. Doesn't that put us in the same position? We know that the ultimate act of terror of the enemy is coming eventually. Are we in a place of anticipation that the Lord is going to help us at that time? Are we willing to proclaim to others around us? Not in a crazy, weirdo, Christian way, because I'm not into that weirdo Christian stuff. I'm talking about truth, the Bible, anticipation of Jesus' return, and the enemy is roaming the earth, seeking whom he can destroy. Proclamation. And then notice the first time we see of the three times that Jesus enters into Jerusalem, his intention isn't just to go into the city, go down to the arts district, have a cappuccino. We're here now for the feast. Let's hang out, guys. What do you want to do? He goes right to the temple. You know where he goes? He goes right to the heart of the issue. The temple was where the problems were happening. The temple was where the priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees had a distorted view of who God was and had changed the practices that had been set up in Leviticus and in the Old Testament and started to do things that catered to their own self-fulfillment, gratification, and greatness. The focus wasn't on God anymore. The focus was on them. It was their phylacteries. It was their appearance. It was the money. I don't want to spoil the story for you, though. So the first time Jesus enters into Jerusalem and into the temple, not the first time he entered into Jerusalem, because he did many times throughout his ministry, but in this, in this journey, intentionally going to Jerusalem, he enters into the temple, it says, so when he had looked around at all the things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, I don't want to say Jesus cased the temple. That would be dodgy. But he did want to step in and see, get a better understanding of what he was going to address. Spoiler alert, the next time he goes to the temple. Does anybody have any uh, thoughts they want to throw out about what the second time he goes back to the temple is? (laughs) He goes back to take care of business and address some things that need to be addressed, that he observed the day before. The hour was late, so he went out to Bethany with the 12, verse 12. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. 
When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. This is the first part of our sandwich today. The first slice of bread, meat soon to follow. We have this picture of Jesus seeing this tree, going to it. And there's a few things that we need to take note of. It says here, he's seeing a fig tree from afar off, having leaves. Now, if you've ever lived in a Mediterranean climate or you've been around fig trees, you will know that they shed their leaves. But then when their leaves come back and they get really full, we had this gorgeous fig tree right in front of our house in Croatia. And when it was this time of the leaves, it was just full, this tree full of leaves. And though it may not be the season for figs, which there's two different words that we could use in the Greek for that, may, even though it may not be the season for ripened figs that you would take home and feast on, they would start to develop these little pods. And you would see at our tree in front of our house in Croatia, these pods start to form right after the fullness of the leaves came. And uh, a lot of people don't know this, but those pods, even though they're not fully mature and they're not ripe, they are edible. And, and Jesus is to a place where he's very hungry. And he's literally looking for anything on the tree, even the very beginning stages of, of the figs coming. He's looking for anything on the tree to be able to eat. And there's nothing. Now, where's Jesus going? To the temple, right? He's going to the temple. This is his second way into the temple. And the Gospel of Mark gives us a little light on the subject of the spiritual condition of the people in Jerusalem, but specifically the temple institute. They institutionalized the temple. It had become cultic in their practices. And this gives us a little glimpse into what Jesus is going to address the same day, that the temple... In, in the way that God intended it to minister to the people and give an avenue for God to have relationship with people was fruitless. It was barren. There was not fruit coming from a relationship that God had intended to produce fruit for his glory. These people had so altered and changed what the temple meant that Jesus said, I tell you today, not one stone will be left on another. Jesus is bringing in this, this fulfillment of what it's supposed to look like to have a right relationship with God. And the, the temple was not doing that anymore. I want you guys to receive this in a spirit of grace and mercy, what I have to say. But I also want you to think about it and consider it. If this is true for the Jews who were God's chosen people, who are in a place where they could hear him, they could have interaction with him. God's presence dwelt in this temple that we're talking about. Is it possible the same thing could happen in churches today? That the church just becomes institutionalized. That the church becomes about programs and policies and procedures. That the church becomes something that started out to... to to demonstrate and reveal the heart of God to mankind, and maybe it started out well, but it's not that anymore. It's a shell 
of a corporation that Jesus says, if you do not repent in Revelation to the church of Ephesus, if you do not repent, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Now, again, the reason for making uh, observations like that or considerations for ourselves to think about it is not so that we could be fruit inspectors in other people's lives. That's fun. <laughs> Sometimes I have trouble falling asleep at night. And I think of all the people that are fruitless. <laughs> I should text them right now. Sorry. <laughs> It's not to be fruit inspectors and judge what other people are doing. It's supposed to turn our eyes into ourselves, be introspective and say, are these issues in my life? Am I producing fruit? Because if you ask yourself the question, are you producing fruit? Then it goes, it spills over into the greater calling that you have, which is, is our church producing fruit? Are we producing fruit to the glory of God? Are we serving each other? Are we in a place by serving each other to be trained up to serve people in our community, to serve our city, to serve those people that we're going to see in July in Africa, in Europe, in Eastern Europe? Because if we're not in a place of fruit producing because we're being intentional about where God has us or what he's teaching us at this season of our life, if we're not, then we're not really prepared to step out and do that somewhere else? Somewhere else? No. It has to start here now. And I'll tell you what, people see this. People see when the fruits of the Spirit are at work. And when people see the fruits of the Holy Spirit being produced, they're attracted to that. Because who doesn't want love? I hate love. I hate everybody. Who doesn't want peace? All the things that God offers us through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit as we walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh are the things that this world so desperately wants but is so out of reach. Amen? You guys are a little sleepy tonight. I can yell louder. I don't mind. In fact, I always tone it down for y'all, but if you want me to bring it, Number three, point number three in your notes, point one, expectation, point two, proclamation, point three, supernatural demonstration. Do you know that this is the only miracle recorded in the New Testament or in the Synoptic Gospels where uh, something destructive, Jesus does something miraculously destructive? This is the only place. Why? Supernatural demonstration. We're going to come back to that. Verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. 
And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. The famous temple-addressing passage where Jesus drives people out of the temple. I think that you and I both know in the context of what we prefaced up until this point, why Jesus is doing this. Why is he doing it? Because the temple was not in the place that God had desired it to be. These people had taken something that was supposed to be holy and precious These pilgrims were coming to Jerusalem to really not only feast and and have a party with each other, but to engage with the God that dwelt in their midst. You guys are familiar with with what the court of the Gentiles was, are, are we not? The court of the Gentiles was the area where the Gentiles were allowed to come into the temple area not just the Jews, but anybody in any part of the world, if they wanted to know who God was, they said, those Jews, something's different about them. They definitely are chosen. They have miraculous history. God continues to, I want to know who their God is. God wanted there to be a forum to where people could go to and be in the presence of God, not being in a Jewish context, not being a converted Jew, but a Gentile that was there or a converted Gentile that wasn't a Jew that wasn't allowed in certain parts of the temple area. So instead of this area being set up for people, for you and for me, to go to the temple in the presence of God and understand and start to have a a relationship, if you will, with the living God because he loves people, they had set up stuff to sell. There was no room for people to come and seek God. But there was room to make a dollar, dollar, dollar bill, y'all. How can we how can we make this more profitable? We just move into this area where these dumb Gentiles are supposed to be and we kick them out. We'll have money changers and and we'll 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 have animals and we'll sell the sacrifices. And the sacrificial system had gotten way out of control. I I forgot the exact number, but it was Josephus that said that that he wrote this particular Passover in Jerusalem. There was something of 260,000 lambs slain. There's always an understanding that we are sinful. Whether you like it or not, you can't meet anybody that says, hey, I'm perfect. They can't do it. They know that they mess up. And the Sadducees and Pharisees, they, they honed in on this truth. And what God intended for there to be a right relationship with him through the sacrificial system, they were taken advantage of by selling exorbitant animals. Just keep the sacrifices coming because every sacrifice that was offered was a cha-ching, cha-ching. The numbers are up today. And sometimes it seems like it's like that in the church nowadays, too. That the focus is more on money. The focus is more on, you know, what we can do if we had a Toyota Tacoma, which is a valid argument, I think. 
Instead of, we're facilitating a place so people can connect with God, their creator, their savior. And Jesus is very upset about this. As I get upset too, when I see people profiteering off of those who are seeking something spiritually. I'll give you something spiritually as long as you're willing to give an exchange materially. You'd be surprised. In fact, you probably wouldn't be surprised at how, af- how often it happens. The third, po- the third point, Jesus cleanses the temple and we see a very clear passion for relationship. Isn't that what that is? What does Jesus say to them? He says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? What is prayer? What is prayer? It's communication. It's a connection. It's dialogue. And God says, I want my temple into Jerusalem to be a means of of communication to me and from me for the people. For everybody and anybody in the world. But they had taken that away. Point number four passion of relationship drove Jesus to drive them out of the area that God was looking to touch people individually and corporately. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed, has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that these things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Too many times we look at this verse and we look at our issues in life and we say, this is a mountain that needs to be removed. This needs to be addressed. And we, and we focus more on, on the physical element of the mountain. We focus more on the things that we need, right? But this verse, in, in regard to the fig tree and the mountain, speaks of the same thing. It speaks of supernatural power. In fact, that's uh, number five, point number five. Supernatural power in a supernatural relationship. Why do you think, why do you think Jesus gave these extreme examples? Isn't this cursing of the fig tree, isn't it kind of over the top? 
He's never done it before. He's never going to do something like that again. It was an extreme example. It was supernatural. There's no way I can walk up to something and say, hey, be dead, unless it occurs or happens supernaturally, because naturally that's not going to happen. If there's a mountain that's removed from its place, it's not going to happen naturally. It's going to happen supernaturally. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. This is the lesson for us today, so don't lose this. Listen, in your relationship with God, God wants to do things in your life that you can ask him for supernaturally. I think all too often we deduce God down into helping us naturally. Naturally, God, if I set up this 401k or if I do this and position myself in a certain place or if I have this plan or this five-year thing, if I get these things together, maybe I'll get there. Naturally, with your help, we'll arrive at that destination. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong to have, just some of them. I'll let you pick because it's a conviction issue, right? What I'm saying is God is saying, I want to work supernaturally in your life to do things that when they're done, people are going to say, that mountain right there, it's over there now. That tree was alive and now it's just sitting working in this bed. People are going to say and see God moves powerfully. God moves supernaturally. One of the first parts of the process of seeing God work supernaturally, what's the first thing you have to do? You have to ask. That's it. You have to. It's so simple. Always, Lord, so simple with you. Submission, obedience to follow you. And he says, just ask. Don't doubt in your heart. I want you to be sure of and assured that this relationship that we have with each other is powerful. I passionately pursued you. And I want the things that happen in your life to be supernatural. So ask me, knowing that this relationship has been restored and that I want to respond to you. In fact, we see Jesus transferring the relationship that the people had with him through the temple worship, and he transfers it to an individual relationship with God, and he, he's instructing his disciples, this is, what, this is what God wants. God wants an intimacy in fellowship with you. And it's no surprise that he addresses the issue of people being able to, from anywhere in the world, Come and worship at the temple, being a house of prayer for all nations. And then the next thing that Jesus talks about at the end of our sandwich is that that's what God really wants from the beginning. He wants interaction. And if we are able to engage him on that level of interaction, then things are going to happen that are supernatural. We can see how the fig tree also represents how the 
temple cult that had taken over and dictated how people were to worship God is going to come to an end. It's Jesus saying, this is over. And it wasn't even a full generation removed that Jerusalem was besieged and not one stone was left on another. The focus was always the glory of the temple, right? It was the glory of the temple. And Jesus says what the temple was meant to be in facilitating a place for people to have a right relationship with God, it has, it has become the opposite and now it will be taken away. Then they came again to Jerusalem. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped chapter or verse 25. And wherever, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. This speaks of the, the magnitude of the relationship. Because really at the, at the base of it, it's the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is saying your ability to have a relationship with God on this level and see these supernatural things is going to be connected to the fact that the Father has taken care of your sin issue and facilitated it for you so you can know Him. Now be careful because if you're able to have that kind of relationship with God and He's able to do supernatural things in your life, you don't want to hold on to sins that others have trespassed or transgressed against you because you've been forgiven. Because God's dealt with that sin issue in your life. So don't hold on to it in regards to somebody else. Verse 27, then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he, third time, mark it if you'd like, underline it in your Bible, walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? Isn't that, isn't that the response usually? If you're operating in some kind of supernatural power, you have an authority over the authority. They say, hey, where'd you get your authority? Because we didn't give it to you. I know, take a hint. Didn't come from you. Where did it come from? It seems like a bygone conclusion. <laughs> Jesus says in another part, he says, I haven't been doing these things in secret. I've been proclaimed out to the people. You've heard my teachings but Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. They reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why, do you not believe, why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have a, been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Man, he's smoking. Jesus is so smoking. I'd be like, I'll tell you what authority I'm doing these things. And kaboom, I'd show him. My God. And you guys are busted. You're in trouble. You messed everything up. You're fruitless. Now get out of here. And stop running red lights for no reason. You're going to hurt somebody. 
But Jesus isn't like that, man. Jesus is too cool for school. He's like, I'm going to put, you guys trying to put me in a bad, here, I'm going to put you in a bad place, okay? What do you guys think about John the Baptist? Tell me and I'll answer your question. Oh, man, oh, I wish he didn't ask that question. What are we going to do now? Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Sixth and last point, we're going to wrap up because we have communion today. Authority, even though it's concealed, really what just happened is authority revealed. (laughs) Jesus is revealing something very clearly to them. And when we look at those six points, we look at the three things Jesus did in the temple and we take it and apply it to our lives. That's the last thing that has to happen or that does naturally happen in a believer's life. His authority is revealed. And we need that. We need the authority of God to walk in confidence in his calling because without it, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have anything to give anybody. God, give us the supernatural ability to ask you for things that seem impossible, for trees to dry up overnight and mountains to be removed. Let's pray. Father, we want these words to be true for us. Thank you for teaching us today by your spirit in the gospel of Mark. We want these points to be planted and dwell in our hearts this week. And the thing, the point that stands out for me, I don't know, Lord, how each one of these points stand out for my brothers and sisters here this morning, but the one that stands out for me is that I desire, I want to see your supernatural power. Lord, help me and my heart to be in the place of belief and faith. Help me to ask the things that you want to do in allowing your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, use your church. Use us. We are your servants. We are not hirelings. We submit ourselves to you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.